0: be seated. I don't know about you guys, but when I am spending time with people, the more I get to know people in conversation and interaction, the more I realize that within these interactions that we have with each other, we love to reminisce. We love to talk about moments and experiences that we've shared together. So for instance, uh, a little over a year ago, I went on a camping trip with two of my friends, my friend's uh, Bryce and Chris, and this is us in Duluth, Minnesota, one on top of the bridge of the Duluth Canal, another at the state park doing some camping, some mountain biking, fun things like that. And so as these memories pop up in these photos that we have, we we send them back and forth, we share them with one another, and we are reminiscing on this moment, and this is a huge part of our relationship together. Also, recently, uh, of course, Kelsey and I approaching our time where we are going to get married. We are beginning to reminisce on the early stages of our relationship and all, all the way till we've gotten to this point. And so this picture is a picture of us at the natural bridge near Big Timber, the very first time I came to visit her in Montana. And so as we look back on our relationship, we reminisce on the moments that we've shared together, moments that have drawn us closer together. And one of the biggest ways I've recently experienced this idea of reminiscing is at men's breakfast. You sit down, you get some breakfast, and I, all, all I have to do, I don't even have to say anything. I can just sit back in my chair, relax, and enjoy as I'm surrounded by these guys. They can tell story after story after story, reminiscing on the experiences they've had in their lives, in their jobs, in their families. It is so cool to get to know people in this way. As people, we love to reminisce on moments, meals, and experiences that we've had together that eventually become these core memories of our lives and as our relationships with one another. As we share these memories with one another, we're reminded of how important each other person is, and we're reminded of how important our relationships were to get to the point where we are Now. And this is exactly what Paul is doing in the passage that we just read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He spends this time reminiscing, recalling, he uses this phrase, as you know, because this is something they all experienced together. He's reminiscing their time together and what that was like. And through this letter, we see that the time that they spent together was one that was rich with love centered on relationships, refined through difficulty, and most of all, their time together was framed by the presence of God among them and built on the glorification of God through the work of his kingdom. As Paul reminisces on his time uh, with the Thessalonians, he tells this to remind them again and again of what him and Silas, what they came to do, why they did it, and how they did it. Many scholars have taken this passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and used it as the main example where Paul shows us his model for how he evangelizes. He does so by setting an example. And this is exactly what he's talking about in chapter 1, uh, what Craig talked about last week, talking about how the Thessalonians are to become imitators of him and Silas. And this model that is shown through this chapter is not the cut and dry entirety of how Paul says we should spread the gospel, how we should minister and evangelize, but is instead this framework. A framework that, within different contexts and scenarios, gives us an idea of what our motives should be based on. There's no checklist, but he exemplifies certain intentional behaviors. This process is like a car. There are many different kinds of vehicles with many different uses and shapes and sizes. However, in order to manufacture a car, you need the same principal parts. You need wheels, you need seats, you need a gas tank, you need, I could keep going, you need the same principal parts, however, there are so many different vehicles, and so in our lives, there are so many different instances, so many different relationships in which we have the opportunity to share the gospel, and there are, there's this outward framework that Paul shows us through this chapter that give us an idea of what it should look like, and then we are left to fill in the gaps depending on the certain context, And so to begin telling us of this model, Paul first identifies two ways that our ministries could be hindered. Two ways that could have possibly hindered his ministry in Thessalonica. We read about the first barrier in verses 1 and 2. It talks about how him and Silas had previously suffered in Philippi. However, at the church in Thessalonica, we see that there is a very faithful church That is planted. And so he says, with the help of God, we dared to tell you the gospel in the face of strong opposition. They had recently been rejected, thrown in prison in Philippi, and essentially forced to leave town because of what had happened. And so the first barrier that Paul tells us about is the fear of rejection. And I don't know about you guys, but very often when I reminisce on moments, I'm not reminiscing on what I thought went well. I'm too busy thinking about what went wrong in certain interactions that I've had. I'm too busy thinking about certain steps that I should have taken when I didn't. I'm too busy thinking about times when I've been rejected by people. I'm too busy thinking about times where I've fallen short of God's calling to me And hesitated to be a witness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a lot of times we dwell on these past moments and we we decide, you know what? It's too hard. It's not worth risking anything. Because last time that I tried, my effort was filled with my mistakes, my hardship, and my rejection. Many of us have experienced different things like that. Maybe for some of us, the rejection that we face has come from our friendships. We've lost friendships or there's been turmoil in those friendships because of our desire to share The gospel with them. For some of us, it could be in our job, in our work atmosphere. Maybe there have uh, been relationships that have gone away. We could have lost a job, different things, lost certain things from those opportunities. For some of us, maybe even there have been issues in our families because of our desire to share the gospel. Additionally, maybe you're like me and you simply struggle with being afraid of what people think of you. You spend so much time trying to win approval of others that sharing the gospel has become this fearful idea because you don't want people's perspective of you to change to something negative once you approach them with the gospel. And so to all those concerns, to all those fears of rejection, I say this. Did Paul and Silas experience better treatment in Thessalonica than they did in Philippi. We read in verse 2 that Paul is saying they had recently been treated poorly in Philippi, but then when they go to Thessalonica, are they treated any better? The answer is no. We read about this in Acts chapter 17, verses 4 through 6. Verse 4 talks about how many of the Jews and many of the Greeks and many prominent women, they were persuaded to hear the gospel and accept the gospel. And this is, this is awesome. Paul is celebrating this. But then in verse 5, it goes on and said that there were other Jews that became jealous. And so they gathered up some bad characters and they started a riot. They began looking for Paul and Silas to punish them for, for what they did. And so then continuing in verse 6, it says that they, they take Jason, who was the person that Paul and Silas were staying with in Thessalonica. They drag him in front of the people. And so because of this, Paul and Silas are forced to leave Thessalonica. And the church in Thessalonica faces strong opposition from this moment. So did Paul and Silas get better treatment in Thessalonica than they did in Philippi? Absolutely not. But did they hesitate to spread the gospel in either of those places? Absolutely not not. There's always the possibility of rejection, but that possibility is not strong enough to outweigh the need to share the gospel with those around us. And our our attitudes need to reflect this. We cannot be afraid of rejection because the gospel of Jesus Christ is too important to not take risks. Paul goes on in verse 3 and talks about the next barrier. He says that, that the gospel that they brought was not brought out of impure motives. And so, so the second barrier that comes up here is doing, preaching the gospel for the wrong reasons. Paul makes this claim in order to refute this these the certain ideas of, because it was actually a, a very popular thing to do for these people who would go around in Greek communities to speak. They would speak in a way that was really flashy, persuasive, and smooth to win people's approval. But what, what they were really looking for, they were really looking for money. They were really looking for praise from people. And so Paul, being aware of this, knowing that there were people like this, reminds them that while he was with them, he wasn't doing anything For those reasons. In order to refute this idea in this section, much of the language that is used provides a contrast that exemplifies the attitudes of Paul and Silas. Verse 3 talks about how how they could have come with impure motives or that they were trying to trick them. But then in verse 4, we read the words, On the contrary, so not only is he saying what they did do, he's saying that we didn't do this, but to the exact opposite of that, we did this. We were speaking as those approved by God entrusted with the gospel. Continues in verse five, and said that they they didn't use flattery or have a mask to cover for greed. In verse six, they weren't looking for praise from people, but then says, instead, we were like, children among you. We were humble. We were gentle. We were kind among you. So easy for us to get caught up in the idea of trying to please people or having our own motives when we are sharing the gospel. And what's so tricky about this is a person can convince themselves that they're doing something for the right reasons when they really aren't. And there seems to be this iceberg of reasons that we could be sharing the gospel. And so many of those go below our conscience. And so on the forefront of our minds, we could be thinking, I am doing this to bring God glory. But then deep down, we have these ideas of what, how can I benefit from this? Or how can I please people? How can I win approval from people in this scenario? And this is what makes verses four and five so important in Paul's time when he's reminiscing. As he says that they spoke as those being entrusted by God with the gospel. Think about that for a sec in our lives. We have been entrusted by God with the gospel. And that comes with the task to spread the gospel. And then in verse 5, he continues on. He says, we didn't have We didn't have a mask for greed. We didn't use flattery. Not only are the people witnesses of this, but God is a witness of this. Is God the witness in your life? Is God the forefront and the reason for why you desire to spread the gospel? Our purpose to spread the gospel is first and foremost rooted in the purpose of bringing God glory. And since we have been entrusted with the gospel, we're called to share the gospel in a way that brings him glory and in a way that shows others the love of God. So in order to paint a picture of what this looks like, Paul starts to use imagery in the following verses. He first says, this is not what We did when we were among you. But instead, he starts to paint a picture of what his model for ministry and evangelism looks like. And says, this is what we did. And so, to paint that picture, he uses the imagery of treating people as a mother and father treat their children. And I've been very blessed. I've had the pleasure of seeing this in a whole new light the past few years. Because of something my family has begun to do. So, this is a picture of My family and for the past four years, we have gotten the privilege to take care of uh, six bonus siblings. So many, uh, so many toddlers, so many young kids and babies. And so as, as I've witnessed this through a new light and watching my parents take care of these young kids, I've been so lucky to see passages like this through a new light because I get to witness a mother and father at work and firsthand, and I absolutely love this picture because I think about five of us are actually looking at the camera. Half of us are looking at the dog, and uh, my little sister in the very middle is acting like the absolute princess that she is. Uh, but that just shows a little bit of what it's like at, at my house. And so when, when Paul is talking about doing things as a mother and father do, he's using these images that the people in Thessalonica, would be very familiar with. And so in verse 7, he first says, instead we were like a young child among you, right? Previously in verse 6, he said, we were not looking for praise from people, but instead we were like a child among you. In other words, we were, we were humble. We humbled ourselves among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, just as a nursing mother humbles herself to do everything that is best for her child, the way that she is gentle and caring and loving. And so this is what Paul and Silas did to those that they were sharing the gospel with. We're going to go past verse 8 and come back to that here in a sec. In verse 9, it talks about the kind of work that Paul and Silas did there. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day. And so when I think about this through the perspective of the way that a mother and father work in raising children, it's that they're always on call. It's at night, it's at day, whatever is best, again, for the child. And so Paul is making this comparison, saying that when we were with you, when we were ministering to you and sharing the gospel with you, we worked night and day for what was best for you goes on in verse 10 and says that, you remember, you were witnesses of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you when you believed. And in other words, what he's saying, he's not saying that, you know, we're perfect, so just be like us. What he's saying is, when we were around you, we were very intentional with the way that we acted. We acted righteous and blameless so that you could see how we acted and so that you could imitate that And so, again, when we think about that from the perspective of a mother and father, or really anyone who's around a young child is going to intentionally act a certain way because you want the child to be able to learn and to imitate the example that you set. And so this is what Paul and Silas did. And then in verse 11 and 12, he goes, he goes back, brings up, just as a young father who is encouraging, comforting, and is urging you to live lives worthy of God. It's through this that Paul shows us the key component for his model for evangelism. And that is intentional relationship. Having patience, having gentleness, and having humility in the way that we share the gospel. We're going to go back to verse 8. Because what is especially significant about this is what we read In verse 8. And he says, Because we loved you so much, we delighted with you to not only share the gospel, but to also share our lives with you. And they intentionally built relationships. They didn't just tell them what the gospel was, but they spent time getting to know the people in Thessalonica. They spent time sharing meals with them. They spent time learning about them and growing close with them, growing closer in love with them. And so as we imitate Paul's model for evangelism, We're to do the same thing. We're to go out and to build very intentional relationships with people, to show love to people, to invite people into our homes and invite people into our lives and learn about their lives, learn their story. And it's through these relationships that Paul and Silas were able to become examples for the Thessalonians to imitate. As we read through this passage, it can at first present itself as just a moment where Paul is reminiscing about what him and Silas did in Thessalonica, but he gives us the full picture in verse 13. It's in this verse that Paul credits everything that was done to God and points out how evident it was that God was at work in the lives. He says that we thank God continually because you received the word not The word of us, though we brought it to you, but you received the word of God. And now we praise God because it is at work in you and is crediting everything to God because God is the foundation for the reason that Paul and Silas were preaching the word in the first place. He goes on in verse 14 and and begins to wrap up his time reminiscing and, and starts to build his argument. And that's what comes in the following chapters. Of this letter. It talks about, uh, for you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of the churches in Judea, talking about not only that they were imitators in the way that the faith of the people in Thessalonica was strong, like the faith as the people in Judea, but also that both churches had endured much suffering and had gone through much persecution. And so, this is where Paul makes a really important distinction that is important for us to keep at the forefront of our minds as we continue to be an outward thinking church looking to spread the gospel to people. Because he's talking about, okay, in uh, verses 15 and 16 of this chapter, Paul talks about how the Jews were the ones that crucified Jesus. The Jews were the ones that had brought issues to the churches in Judea and also in Thessalonica. And at first we read this and we're, we're thinking, is Paul having a, such a negative mindset towards Jews? But if we remember so, so much of what he has said, there were so many Jews that accepted the word of God. There were so many that were, in fact, of course, the church in Judea who he's just praising in this chapter. So it's not just one group of Jews, He's not, not the entire group of Jews, but it's specific people in general who are hindering the spreading of the gospel. He continues to talk about them. And in verse 16, he says that the wrath of God has come upon them at last. And so many times we can get confused about what, what, what that means. What is the wrath of God? What, what is he talking about? But so, so much of what Paul is talking about is God's role in the spreading of the gospel. God's role in everything. And so as he's doing this, he's saying that it is God's role to be the judge. It is God's role to be the one. And it's not our job to do anything other than to love and to reach out to people and to pour into people. Though we face rejection sometimes and we're often surrounded by a worldly society, our job is to continue to be an outward thinking church. To love, to pour into others, and to imitate and bring glory to God. In the grand scheme of life, everything begins and ends with God. Everything that we endure and everything that we do is wrapped up in one purpose. And that is to bring God glory that is something worth reminiscing about. So my question for you this morning is who are you pouring into? And as you are pouring into that person, what is the reason that you are sharing the gospel with them? My encouragement to you is that as we continue to persevere through different hardships in life or even experience different successes, in life, we are reminiscing not on the things that we have done, but on the way that God's hand is working through the experiences we have in our daily lives. And we are giving Him glory for everything He has done for us, through us, and around us. That as we continue to share the love of Jesus with those around us boldly, as we love people gently and humbly, as we build relationships with others, And as we encourage those around us to live lives more worthy of God's calling, we can keep God, His mission, and His kingdom at the very center of everything that we do. That's something worth reminiscing about. In a moment, I'm going to close us out in prayer, and then uh, we'll stand and sing the next song. And, and after I, I, I pray, and, and while we're singing, if you uh, would like prayers this morning, if there's something on your heart you need prayers for, if you would like to take the next step in your walk with Christ, myself and the elders will be in the back if you want to, if, to spend time in prayer with us, and we can encourage one another through that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are and I pray that as we live through our lives, we can bring glory to who you are. That we keep your mission, your kingdom at the forefront, and the reason of everything that we do. That we can be bold, and that we can throw away the fear of rejection, and we can throw away impure motives that we may have, but we can simply share the gospel to bring you glory and to build your kingdom. I pray you help us do that more and more, and you be with us this morning as we encourage one another to do that. Thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice, which makes all this possible, and it's in his name I pray. Amen.